Hi, I'm Rebecca Pete, And I'm Rebecca Cochran. And, and welcome, welcome to Woven, where we strive to be Christians living in the world with intention. And our prayer is that, to paraphrase Mary Zimmer, the Christ who knew Mary and Martha would show us the way of balance. Thanks, Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Um, this is episode 31, and we are so pumped today. Like, pumped. I, we say excited all the time, and I'm tired of saying excited, so I'm finding other um, synonyms for excited. So we're going to say pumped today yes. to have um, author and radio show host and speaker um, Susie Larson on with us um, today on the podcast. Yay! Um, Susie, um, if you don't know, which you probably do, but if you don't know who Susie is, um, she was on the radio how many years? Eight years with um, your live The Promise with Susie Larson? Yeah, I was in radio for 12 years, four years as a guest host, eight years of my Live the Promise daily talk show. And okay. I'm still in radio. I, I guest host for Moody Radio, and I have a studio in my home to do fill-in work for now. So, Lord willing, I'm going to get my my show back on the air. I just awesome. needed to step away for health reasons. Take a break. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that. But you also do, um, how often do you do your live Facebook videos, the interviews yeah, that you that- do? That was a real surprise, but I do those two times a week, and I wow. uh, did those in response to requests, and God's been doing something with those. So Okay, awesome. and Susie's also the author of 15 books, right? 15 books yes. and a lot of articles, wow. and um, her newest book is called Fully Alive, and it's called, and the subtitle is Learning to Flourish Mind, Body, and Spirit, and you live in Minnesota. What part of Minnesota are you in? North of the cities okay. uh, by about 40 minutes. Yeah. Okay. And she um, has been married. Um, is your bio correct in saying that you've been married since 1985 to Kevin? Correct. Yes. 1985. Yes. And you have three boys and three um, daughter-in-laws and one grandchild? Yes. And awesome. one pit bull. And one pit bull, <laughs> which um, I have a dog. I know that that is included in your list of children for sure. Um, and his, is it a he or she? Memphis is the name. Memphis, I love that name. That's super cute. Okay. So, um, and the reason why we had Susie, we're having Susie on for lots of reasons. So I'm going to give my personal reason. Um, I saw you at She Speaks, was that two summers ago? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I saw you, um, I heard you speak at She Speaks and I went to one of your sessions on, um, I think it it was related to telling your story and and your speaking and and, um, the content around that. And I found it very engaging. So you were always in the back of my brain because of that. And then we're friends with Je- Jennifer Dukes Lee, who um, is an author that you're also connected with. And she's now at Baker um, Books, which um, they per- they publish your books, correct? Um, and so she connected us with you because she thought you'd be great for us on the podcast. So we're super excited. So that's my personal connection. Thank you, Jennifer. Yay, Thanks, Jennifer. Shout out, shout out to Jennifer. So um, yeah, and I was really excited to have you on because I... Um, I guess like all of life is a healing journey really, but I have been in my adult life healing from a lot of um, just childhood traumas and the message of this book, I actually heard you on um, Heather McFadden's podcast, which is now called Don't Mom Alone, but was previously called God-Centered Mom. Um, And this message of integration of healing has just been coming at me all all the last couple years. And that's why it was our first series on the podcast was because I had been trying to heal my brain with my brain. You know what I mean? And um, it just, it wasn't working. And so this message of flourishing mind, body, and spirit is very deeply personal to me. Um, and it is to you. I mean, I know you say Fully Alive is a book that you never planned to write. Why is that? Well, um, for those who will get into the story, um, we'll learn that, um, you know, here I, I was fitness-minded person, but as a young mom, I was on bed rest for about six months with our third child, with a one and a three-year-old, and one day, the doctors let me get up to test the waters. I've been feeling kind of depressed from just being so out of commission, mm-hmm. and it was a fall day, and I met some girlfriends from college, went for a little walk along a path and by a river, and by nighttime, I was contracting again, and from two weeks from that time, my face started to go numb. I started experiencing neurological issues. And long story short, I would find out a year later that I was bit by the deer tick that day and contracted Lyme disease. And so here I'm a young mom battling Lyme disease with three little boys. I literally crawled through that valley and it took over a year to find out what was wrong. So the ups and downs of my health and the cyclical nature of Lyme, you know, once they ruled out MS and a brain tumor, they didn't know. And that was a, a kind of a open space for people to give me all kinds of opinions about what was wrong with me. And, and it's amazing the things you hear when you suffer along, especially if you don't have answers. I mean, I was a doer, I was a producer, so I was not looking 
to get attention. I like to feel well, and I didn't feel well. But I had people who tell, told me that, you know, this would be happening if I had more faith. Um, mm -hmm. Or this would be happening if I'd come clean about the hidden sin in my life and that kind of a thing. And, uh, you know, Job's friends are everywhere, I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I was still pretty new in my faith, so I didn't understand what was going on for me. And that began a really excruciating journey through the wilderness for me with Lyme for a number of years. And then I would say over the last 20-something years, I've had chronic health issues, but I'm health-minded. So I have contended for life and contended for health, but I have my limits. And several times a year, I'd be knocked over by the illness. And uh, it really culminated three years ago. I had a massive relapse, and God allowed that storm really to teach me some profound things. But the reason I didn't want to write the book, you guys, is because there is such strong opinions around um, theology, around healing. Yeah. I never want to jump into that battle. There are, there's extreme that I address in the book. God always heals. And if you don't get your miracle, you're deficient in faith. There's something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. Then the other extreme is God does not do this anymore. These gifts are not for today. And if you think they are, you're a false teacher. Well, I mean, there's such, and they're angry opinions oftentimes. But then what do you do with the masses who are in between, either those who are grieving the death of a godly loved one who died and wasn't lacking faith, yeah, or those yeah. who are battling chronic illness? Um, you just write them all off so you don't have to enter into their suffering. I, I God compelled me to enter into the conversation because I needed to be a voice because I'm someone who's walked through it. So I didn't want to, but then I knew I had to. So it's almost but, like, um, I imagine as you were writing it, you were probably thinking of your younger self who was in that place of being like, something is wrong and feeling like it's your fault kind of, or feeling like, I mean, especially as a young Christian, I can, I can imagine how people who haven't had the opportunity to mature in their faith yet would take, I mean, we cling to those messages. And I think the, the further you get along, the more you find the middle ground and are comfortable with that. But I think early on, it can be really scary and it can give you a sense of control to think like, well, I just, I need to pray 10 times a day and I need to do this, this and this. And so, um, but I think at the same time that can also, you know, people can also go to the other extreme and think, well, if I exercise this much and if I eat these foods and I do these things, then I will like prevent illness. So it's really good to be in the center of that and to integrate all of those things because they're all good and very necessary for healing. Yeah. Well, and this is what's so important is that um, where I'm really trying to delicately walk the line is to say very carefully, because it will sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but I do believe there would be more miracles on the earth today had we more faith. But he's, Jesus says, it's just, you need a mustard seed of faith. So what's in, mm -hmm. in our core is unbelief, but you never put that on the sufferer. You never put that on the person. You just need more faith. So I'm coming alongside to say, on one hand, yes, he's still a God of miracles. My own son had a medical miracle, a miraculous healing that doctors cannot explain. They call it a miracle. And there are documented cases of miracles happening today all over the world. Yeah. You can't dispute that. So I'm not having that conversation. Yeah. Yes, he does still heal today. But for the rest of us, those especially who suffered long, the truth of the matter is that we identify more with our illness at times or with our struggle. And this mm -hmm. isn't just about physical health. This is flourishing mind, body, spirit. Maybe yours is an emotional miracle that you need or a relational miracle or even a relationship with yourself because you hold yourself in contempt. When you've suffered too long, you get used to the suffering and like the man on the mat who'd been there for 38 yeah. years you lose your sense of expectancy so that is my hope is to talk to those yeah. people who have lost a sense of expectancy because there are some things we can do and then there are some things that only God can do so I'm saying I'm coming to you as a fellow sufferer I'm not clonking you on the head saying you really ought to have more faith but I'm not going to shield you from the idea that God's promises are as potent as they've ever been yeah. and there's always something we can do and we don't want to get used to our situation we never want to lose expectancy so when, when jesus says to the man do you want to get well his first words were i can't sir and that was something the lord brought me back to again and again and i was shocked by it i was actually hurt by it because i was doing everything i knew to be well yeah we can talk about that in a minute but i'm just saying the whole thrust of the book is let's pursue healing let's do whatever make the tweaks that god is asking us to make and the changes he's asking of us and then let's contend for him to do what only he can do yeah and i think it's it's really hard we talk a lot about here uh, on our podcast about balance and um holding things in tension and how uh, the whole christian life is holding 
holding things in tension. So you, you hold in tension the teachings of Jesus. So you have you have the teachings of Jesus, obviously. I mean, like you were saying, we, we can't even go there about saying that God doesn't um, produce miracles. I mean, miracles happen all the time. Uh, miracles ha- Jesus performed miracles when he was here on earth, and that's historical documented fact. Um, but then on the other side of things, he also, you know, the, the people bring the blind man to him and say to, to Jesus, what what did what sins has he committed or what sins have his parents committed or his family committed that have caused him to be blind? And Jesus rebukes them um, and tells them that, um, you know, that the healing is going to take place um, to glorify Jesus, um, not because of the sin that the man has committed. And so holding those things in tension and holding that theology in tension of, um, and I, one of my favorite phrases from the book and um, about um, what I see as and one thing you said about why um, we have suffering and why we go through these storms. I love the quote, the storms reveal the lies we believe and the truths we need. So um, I, I just knowing that there's a purpose in our suffering and there's a purpose in our healing, but there's a purpose in our suffering too. So how do you balance that theology? Well, that, that's really great. So I'm going to go back to the man. I think it's John 8 where he says, do you want to get well? And he says, I can't, sir. Well, if you follow that story, Jesus also says to him, quit sinning or something yeah. worse will happen to you. So here again lies the tension because there yeah. are some who are chronically ill through no fault of their own. But God is not obligated to make us healthy if we keep trashing our bodies. He says you won't be mocked. What you sow is what you grow, right? Yeah. And we have to humble ourselves, but we can never put that on another person. We do not know why another person suffers. And it's absolutely arrogant and prideful to try to figure that out. Yeah. But if, So again, the invitation is for us to look within to say, God, this is between you and me. I'm not going to take the taunts of others, but Jesus searched me. And so I will tell you, for me, when this attack kind of culminated my relapse, it came as a physical attack, but also a spiritual attack. I, I was having neurological symptoms that were horrifying. So not only were the old Lyme stuff with facial numbing and dizziness, uh, but my neck started to go numb. My arms started to go numb. My esophagus kept spasming so I couldn't swallow. I felt like someone put my head in a vice and kept cranking till my skull broke. I, I honestly thought my skull was broken. My head hurt so bad. And then I was in the bathroom one day and I'm crying out to God going, don't make me do this again. Oh, God. I mean, at this age, after all these years, I'm begging you, don't let me go through this again. And I could hear that enemy railing in my ear. I'm, I'm, this is it for you. And he, I felt like he had me by the throat. And the Lord whispered in that bathroom that day, the storms reveal the lies you believe and the truths we need. And I'm like, I knew the inner voice of God. And I'm like, what are, what are the lies that I believe? I'm, I mean, I'm a serious follower of Christ. Lord, what lies do I believe? And then I heard the rail in my ear from the enemy. I can get to you anytime, anywhere, and God will never stop me. And the Lord whispered just like a counterattack. Susie, you've believed that. I have, sub- I have subconsciously believed that because of some of the trauma as a child and then what happened again with my health two different times, that really I was bracing for impact because of the mm-hmm. stuff God had allowed. And then he came to me and he said, Susie, it's not true that he can get to you anytime, anywhere. He is on a short leash. You can't know what I provided for you. You can't even know what I prevented in your life. Mm-hmm. But we don't outrun lies. We turn around and we face them down. And so that was D-Day battle for me. I had 22 tubes of blood taken, an MRI. I mean, there was a lot revealed what was going on in my health. And I mean, I'm disciplined. I'm focused. That's just the kind of person I am. And so when God kept bringing me back to John 8, going, do you want to get well? I'm like, God, (laughs) it's hurting my feelings that you're asking me this. I mean, I want this. I'm taking my vitamins. I'm going to bed on time. I'm praying the scriptures. Why do you keep asking me this? And he was just silent. So then I thought, well, he is God and I'm not. So Father... What are the hindrances in my soul to my own healing? Do I have some I can'ts? And it was literally a week later, I was backstage getting ready to step up to speak, and my arms were numb, my head was crushing, and I was dizzy, and I felt so weak. I couldn't fathom going out there to do what I had to do, but I'm like digging deep, and right as I'm about to step out, the host grabs me and goes, oh, ooh, before you go out there, make sure that you tell them that you struggle in your health. Otherwise, they're just going to hate you when they get a look at you. And... You know, I had this light bulb moment. I know she was half kidding and half not, but I've heard that a thousand times. I'd hate you if you didn't struggle so. And for anybody who's read my past books, I have a book from many years ago called The Uncommon Woman. And that was the fruit of coming out of friendship betrayal and being the subject of lots of gossip. And every woman, I think, has gone through that. It's excruciating, and I never want to go through it again. So even though I had all these disciplines, I'd heard that thing a thousand times. So here I am backstage, and a little whisper to my heart, 
can you trust me with your reputation? Mm. If I heal you and women judge you, can you handle it? Yeah. And it was like yeah. a hitch for me. It was like, oh my gosh, that, that's, that's a thing. And I actually had to engage my faith around it. Well, a week later, I'm praying and I pray every day for human trafficking victims and slaves. And uh, we have millions and millions of slaves in our day, more than we've ever had in the history of the world. And Mohammed and I are involved in that um, to some degree. And so I'm contending every day for those who are rescuing slaves and, and girls and trafficking. And the phrase blessing guilt passed across my mind. And I'm like, blessing guilt. And the Lord whispered to my heart again, could you handle it if I healed you with the untold millions who are in captivity? Mm -hmm. I said, no, I had a capital no. Like that was way down in there. Yeah. So I'm doing the right things, praying the right things, so to speak. But I had a big fat no in my soul. I'm like, I can't, no, I can't handle that. I can't stand the injustice of, of the world. And Rebecca goes back to you, what you were saying about living in the tension. He whispered yeah. to my heart. And I know this theologically in my head. What he does for one doesn't diminish his ability to do for another. Yeah. But I had a hang up around that. And I had yeah. I yeah. had to sort that through. So what I'm saying is that for the person who struggles, can we be humble enough to know that there are hindrances in our own souls? And so God will know when we're ready. He'll allow an overplayed enemy attack. He'll allow a storm to reveal the lies we believe and the truths we need. The temptation is to step them back down, to numb out, to just grasp for something. Mm -hmm. But if we can trust that the storm really is tempered, there is a limit to what God allows in our lives. But if he's allowing a storm, it's because he's getting you ready for a new level of freedom. You can know that that's just true. And that's what I found in this last storm. There were old traumas that I thought I'd sorted through, but you know, it comes in layers. He set the plow deeper to set, bring a deeper freedom. And there were lies that I believed that I didn't realize were in there but the storms revealed them. Yeah, that's really good. And so when we're talking about trauma, one thing I wanted to kind of clarify, I think sometimes when people hear trauma, they they don't think that applies to them because they're like, well, nothing. I've never been in sex trafficking. I've no, nothing horrible, horrible. But trauma is all about our perception of what happens to us. So can you talk a little about that? Absolutely. Well, you said it very well. And I know there's two types of trauma. There's a trauma of something that's happened to you. And there's a trauma of the absence of things that should have happened for you. Oh, that's, that's traumatic. That's yeah, and yes. if you have, if maybe you had great parents, but they were workaholics and they weren't there to nurture you, help you sort through some things after school, that's traumatic for a child to be out in the world to come home and to try to sort through that stuff on their own. Yeah. I mean, maybe someone pinned you up against the locker and threatened you. No one ever saw it. But that's traumatic. I mean, yeah. when you're jarred and you have a sense of danger, it's trauma to the soul. And and that's the thing is there's so many things that we do workarounds and we never will heal if we compare our trauma to someone else's trauma. Right. As long as you're minimizing how that thing made you feel, you'll never get to the bottom of what it did in your soul. And uh, I say this in the book. In fact, I do a whole chapter on grief. When I was interviewing Steve Arterburn couple years ago, he said, Susie, one of the great epidemics of the church today is unresolved grief. He said, we've all had a series of losses, hurts, and disappointments, but we've not slowed down long enough to deal with them. And that's true. And I've done some shows on that. And you wouldn't believe the people that call in. And I think especially as women, we are so good at workarounds because we got too much going on. But uh, as you were, well, you were saying how God's just been stirring up some of the, he wants mm -hmm. a new level of healing. He'll decide when it's time. And we've got to decide to go with him on that yes. journey. But I think we're afraid to grieve because we don't want to go into self-pity. Yeah. But if we're just yeah. determined to follow the Lord in that and listen for Him, we will see the fruit of grief. And it's bad fruit to go into to kind of rehashing and rehearsing to self-pity. You'll just know because it'll put a chokehold on your soul. But if you can give time and space to go... Golly, when that guy broke up with me, that sent rejection to me in the deepest way, you know? Yeah, or yeah. when that doctor pronounced that diagnosis, even though he was wrong, that got in me. Or when I saw that movie that triggered a past pain, that affected me. And to be willing to sort through some of those things and then get truth there, it's the only way we're going to get free. Yeah, I know for I, for me, I, so you, you talk about the workarounds, and I think we all have kind of different kinds of workarounds and why we do the workarounds. And for me, my workarounds are because I, I for me, it is painful to dig in. Like, so there's that, there's pain. And then you even kind of have to go into a deeper pain to dig that stuff up. And then, yes, there, I know in my brain, um, even a little bit in my heart that, that 
there's freedom that comes at the other end of that, but it's a process and it's a painful process. And so the, the, the emotional pain that comes from having to dig in like that, I would rather just ignore it. Like I can just like cover it up. I'm real good about covering it up and just like moving along and, and, um, putting on masks and, um, being self-sufficient and responsible and timely mm-hmm. and get all the things done. And I peer like all put together and that is, and, and just keeping busy and doing is my workaround so that I don't have to deal with the pain because there is still pain involved in digging. So, well, there is, but yeah. I will tell you that's the church's heart disease right there. Because yeah. uh, when you look at literal heart disease, you've got plaque in the vessel, and so you've got a constricted vessel, so the blood doesn't get to flow mm-hmm. through. So you're not oxygenating, you're not healthy, you're not energized, and over time, other systems pay a price. I am telling you, the reason I want to make a case for this is because there's a watching world that's hurting even worse than we are because they don't have the hope of Christ. Yeah, and I would say the message of love and wholeness and restoration gets lost in translation because we don't want to feel and I get it because I didn't I didn't want to feel some of these things but I feel like God wants so much not only to heal us because he loves us but he wants that message of healing to come through us and once God sets you free in ways you never thought possible you'll go out into that world and you'll say let me tell you what he's done for me you will have more authority and more credibility and I'm telling you I believe with all my heart that there are many Christians who live and die and realize they were saved but they didn't know they were loved they they were saved, but they were not free. And I think to the extent that we are free is the extent that God will use us. So this is worth contending for, not just for us, but for the people in our sphere of influence. Yeah. I feel like I need to dictate everything you just said and make like 10 memes out of it. (laughs) Instagram page. That's the great thing about recording. I know. It's so so good. good. Yeah. Well, so it's, so, okay. I think a lot of people do that side, but then you have the people like myself who we become defined by our pain. We kind of tend to wallow in it. And you talk in your book about a learned helplessness, um, how we, you were talking a little bit at the beginning too, about how we are defined by it. That's what we see. And then we go out from that place and we forget the hope we have in Christ. Yes, well, that's exactly right. That learned helplessness came from a counselor. I'm not sure which one, but it's a really a great phrase, and I feel like it relates to the guy on the mat. The fact that Jesus says, "Do you want to get well?" and you know, a good example. I think I t- I did this, and there's a DVD that goes with Fully Alive. That's where I told this story. But um, two of my three sons had respiratory issues when they were young, and one needed prednisone over and over and over again to get him breathing again. And doctors said this is not good for him, but the kid needs to breathe. So this could affect him. It could give him chronic fatigue and could stunt his growth. Well, thankfully, it didn't stunt his growth. He's got a size 14 shoe, and he's six foot three. So I'm like, he'd be a giant if he wouldn't have <laughs> Anyway, but he did battle chronic fatigue. He's now 30 years old, and he's battled chronic fatigue for most of his adult life. And one of the doctors I dedicated the book to, Dr. Troy, he's a functional med doctor, and I'd have him on my radio show once a month, and my son, Luke, um, would listen and be intrigued. And he called me, this was like a year ago, and he said, Mom, He said, I battled so much fatigue and I was so exhausted that I just thought my duty was to feign a smile and try to just grin and bear it and get through life. But he said, I realized that was not a sustainable way to live. He said, what it was, was passive optimism. Think about that. And that, that, you know, it's like, so there's a learned helplessness where you rehash and rehearse and you're identified by your stuff. And that's its own captivity. And Mm -hmm. there is Jesus asking you, do you want to get well? Rise up, take your mat and walk. And we can Mm -hmm. unpack that in a minute. But that, so there's that learned helplessness. Well, then there's passive optimism. Wanting things to get better isn't enough. You know, he said, I needed to hate my situation enough to get up and fight for it. So he went to Dr. Troy and Dr. Troy said, yes, you have chronic fatigue, but you got to get some sugar out of your diet. You had to give up gluten and he'd had him do a few things and made some adjustments. He lost 30 pounds and got his energy back, but he had to fight for it. Well, here's me doing a lot of the right things, but I wasn't believing the right things. Mm. And that's why I submit to you. We're all in different places, Mm. but flourishing and even salvation, the shalom, kind of salvation that scripture is actually talking about is a flourishing of mind body spirit it's a rescue of the whole person but when we get too used to our stuff and then we just treat symptoms and numb out and our goal is to get through the moment because we're so overcommitted we're not going to know freedom i always say you know we want relief god wants redemption we want a break 
He wants breakthrough. And I just feel like we are right now, many Christians are walking through storms because it's our time to get free. Because I believe greater storms are coming to the land as, as the times heat up. And God wants us free so we can minister to a very broken society. Yeah, I agree. And so so one of the things you talk about, and you just mentioned it just right now when you were speaking, you you said that our culture is addicted to treating symptoms and I'm and not just physical symptoms, but emotional symptoms and uh, you know, we do it with meds and I mean not that there's anything wrong with meds. I think we can all agree here that meds are needed in circumstances. But can you talk a little bit more about that cultural addiction to treating symptoms and, and putting band aids on things versus like digging deep? Yes. In fact, you know, I've, I've watched doctor interviews. I've interviewed plenty of doctors. I'm fascinated by just the connection, mind, body, spirit, just because we're so fearfully and wonderfully made. And even traditional medicine doctors who they, what, what they do is write scripts are saying, we've been doing this uh, for far too long, too much. We need to, instead of saying what, We've got to ask the why. What's the why behind the what? Why are they having symptoms? So functional med doctors tend to go for the why, but even medical doctors are saying we need to look at why, why, why. And uh, there's a a friend of a friend has a wife who was just hired by an insurance company. There's a whole full-time department uh, for this insurance company to call people who are on multiple meds to ask them why they're on the meds because they're realizing they're, they're treating symptoms from other meds that they've been on. And those meds they've been on, they don't don't know why they're on them and doctors don't remember why they're on them i mean this is our society right yeah, now it's an epidemic and, yeah. yeah it is and so if we could have the courage to say you know like i'll give you an example my uh, my sister was dealing with acid reflux and they were trying different meds on her and they couldn't figure out why and uh dr troy told her or actually it was her doctor she's got a similar doctor like dr troy told her you're not breathing you, and she's a hard worker. She runs fast. And so all day long, she takes short breaths. Huh. And that dealkalizes your body. It throws your pH balance off. So she said, you got to slow down. Mm-hmm. And on the hour, you got to take slow, deep cleansing breaths. And it's as simple as eight counts in, hold it for eight counts, 16 counts out. I mean, you do that a couple times every hour, you will be so calm, you won't believe it. But they got rid of her acid reflux. I had a, another family member who had massive anxiety issues. And she was overtreated for them. She had a little bit of a chemical imbalance and she required one medicine, but not five. And the yeah. other medicines were messing her up. Well, the doctor determined she had corn and gluten allergies and it was c- causing these adrenal surges that felt like anxiety. Well, once she got that out of her body, her body regulated. So there are physiological answers. There is emotional answers. If we could just dare to take some time to go, Lord, give me wisdom. Like you were saying mm-hmm. that you felt like God was telling you to start running. Well, he's so wise. And that was part of your healing process. There's so much wisdom and what he's asking you because he's kicking in your system to heal Uh, god is wise and he's a a wonderful creative father so if we dare to say in what ways am i numbing out and and i'm not saying meds there's never a place for meds there absolutely is i'm on medicine now to treat what i'm dealing with but i'm saying show me when i'm numbing out show me when i'm drink drinking from a broken cistern when you've got living water for me when there's a deeper answer for me he will speak to you about it Yeah, absolutely. And we don't, and again, like we're looking for balance here, so we don't have to go to the extremes of, you know, avoiding traditional medicine or, you know what I mean? Like there is a a middle that you can use both and he does. Yeah. So I think that's great. Okay. So one of the things that struck me and it's probably because of what I'm going through, um, just struggling, um, in this area of fear and most of my stuff is, you know, more like spiritual and emotional stuff, not, not fear because of, because of trauma. But, um, I really um, resonate. Um, you talked, one of the, wish I would have, I mean, I underlined it, but I didn't um, mark it for today. But you talked about um, the fear. Um, I think it was related when you were talking about earlier, the story about your reputation and about this fear of, oh, here it is. I found it. See, look, Jesus wanted me to talk about it. Okay. So um, the fear of exposure and you taught, you say um, countless people admit to fears of being publicly publicly humiliated or of having old skeletons fall out of the closet for all to see and still others feel perfectly unqualified to do what they do even if they are qualified and quite successful in what they do their greatest fear is that others will see them as the imposter they believe themselves to be fear exposure drives us into hypervigilance stills the joy from our work and keeps us from flourishing in our god-giving assignment and for me like i i it's all marked up i sent her a picture of it and texted it to her when i was reading the book because that like fits me to a t 
So what I guess I want to talk about is how fears, because I think people hear fear and they think, you know, they're afraid of, and these are legitimate fears that some people do have, you know, fear of, um, violence or fear of abandonment or fear, you know, all those fears that are traumatic, um, maybe from our past, but then there's also fears like this that are even deeper and they're hard to like recognize. And how do even those type of fears, like for me, the fear of exposure, um, and the fear I have a, I have a, I used to think was a fear of failure, but it's actually a fear of success because of exposure and being seen as an imposter. And so like, how do fears like that play out in physical symptoms? Wow, that's a really great question. I actually dig into the exposure, fear of exposure more in my book, Your Beautiful Purpose, and the DVD that goes with that. But one thing the Lord spoke to me around that time, because I had fears on multiple levels. I mean, fear was one of my biggest, biggest issues. But I don't know if this will encourage you before I answer your question, but one of the things God spoke to my heart is, I expose the wicked. I protect, defend, and vindicate the righteous, not because they're perfect, but because they're mine, and you are mine. And you just need to know, he exposes the wicked. And so if it feels like exposure is coming, I always say that your threat to the enemy is very connected to his threat to you. When you start to step on his toes, he's Mm -hmm. threatening exposure because he's about to be exposed by the gifts of God in you. Um, but I will tell you, I write a lot more in Fully Alive about the physiological implications of fear. Because of trauma for me, because I just had a fear bent on so many levels, it's something, it was like whack-a-mole for me. But it wasn't till this relapse that my doctors explained um, and, and others confirmed as I interviewed brain experts on my show is that there's a massive phys- physiological response to fear, no matter what you're fearing, because your brain only has two motivational fuels, either love or fear. You're either operating in fear or you're operating in love. So for example, in my situation, because these new symptoms were flaring before we knew, and I was starting to think this isn't lying, this is something else because of how these symptoms were, which brought on whole new levels of fear. Um, when they did all the blood work, I drink 70 ounces of water a day I was three liters short. Picture a liter of pot. I was three liters short of water in my body. So I was severely dehydrated, even though I drink all this water. I was malnourished, even though I eat healthy. And I'm like, how can that be? And they said, when you're in fear, you're in fight flight. And when you're in fight flight, your cells do this thing where they self-cover and self-protect. Now, there's a place for that if a tiger is chasing you. But if you're living (laughs) in fear, you're not even receiving the benefits of your disciplines. But it's even worse than that. When you let fear in, if your brain goes on the fear track, it's like you open a door in your body to an cascade of inflammation so no matter who you are you will have an inflammatory response to fear and that's where sickness and disease uh, grow it's a fertile soil for sickness and disease so when i learned that even though years past i've been battling fear for me something clicked in for me because my doctors were like what i was diagnosed with is called cirs sirs chronic inflammatory response syndrome so that you can't afford inflammation. You've got already so much inflammation. Do what you have to do about that fear. And then it was game on for me. And so I started to practice a zero tolerance policy on fear right in the face of the battle of fears about what's going on with me, scary symptoms, the enemy going, I got you by the throat now. I'm like, I can't afford it. So I'm turning my back on it and I'm not going to just, you know, obliterate fear from my mind. I'm going to replace it with truth. Mm -hmm. And the truth was, God, you're always good. Your promises are true. You will always make a way for me. But still, there was this something in me that was going, I wanted a guarantee that my worst fears wouldn't come true. And I have a prayer friend who's got total permission to smack me upside the head whenever I need it. And she said, Susie, go ahead and fight for your life. But you got to die to that fear. Because my fear was a fear of a worse debilitating neurological disease. Because neurological diseases are horrific. I would rather die a quick death than yeah. a slow one, right? Yeah. And yeah. so she's like, go ahead, fight for your life, but you got to die to that thing. you got to look it in the face and die to it. And I'm like, I can't. I mean, that is asking me too much. And then I knew there was no other option. So I went before the Lord and I prayed the even if prayer. Mm-hmm. Lord, I know you can heal me. I believe you can. But even if you don't, even if my lot is I'm walking into another worst fear, you are still God. 
And that sounds, you know, we read about that in, in the book of Daniel, but doing it when you're facing your fear, it was the scariest thing I'd ever done. And I got this picture of this altar and I was like a rag doll. I crawled up on the altar and I was curled in a ball going, even if, and then I got, I'm God speaks to me in word pictures a lot because I'm so visual. I got this visual of the line of Judah, like Aslan from the Chronicles of Narnia, just rising up with his flowing mane. And he puts one foot on one side and one paw, the other paw on the other side of me. And he just roars into the atmosphere like he's serving the atmosphere notice she's mine and then he whispered to my heart Susie right now you feel fragile and vulnerable but you're only one of those things you're fragile but you're not vulnerable and I realized we have to have to have to contend and put the fear under our feet so when you're thinking about fear of exposure fear of success first I think it's wise to think of the physiological response that you can't afford it nobody can it's not good for your body but then two to say that the enemy is on a short leash and the storm is tempered, even if it doesn't feel like it. And his threat to you is very connected to your threat to him. So when you're in fear, systems shut down. When you're in love, your cells open up, your heart's in a place of faith, and you can see more clearly. So it's something we have to fight for because that's when you'll start to get clarity about, I don't have to do it all. I don't have to borrow tomorrow's trouble, but I have grace in this space to do what he's telling me to do right now. And outcomes are in his hands. And yeah. then you'll have the guts to keep taking one faith-filled step at a time. Yeah. That is so good. I mean, literally every time we record a podcast, we get, do you use Voxer? It's like a walkie-talkie app. Yes. Yeah, we just fox each other all day. Like, I feel like an imposter. Yeah. Just constant. So that's that's really good for both of us to hear. Yeah, yeah. Um, so moving on then, get, and you've, you've, hi, you've kind of alluded to this a little bit, this idea of rest. And um, we all know, I mean, we've, we've talked about it on the podcast. We had a whole series, and that's when Jennifer was on with her. It's all under control book. But other, other authors that were on um, who have written books on um, surrender and on rest and on um, surrendering control and all of that and balance. Um, so we've, I feel like it's, this is a big topic in, um, in American culture in general, not just in Christian culture, uh, this idea of rest and how it's so difficult in our culture to do that. So you talk, I really liked, um, I wrote down, um, the, the phrase that you wrote in there, you rest while I work, you rest while I fight, you wait to take flight. So can you expound on that a little bit, that idea? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were times through this, you know, three year journey where um, it was like breadcrumbs, you know, there's times he felt so silent or seemed so silent. But there was one day when I was asking for a battle strategy, and that's what came you rest while I work, you feast while I fight, you wait to take flight. And the rest while I work was this whole idea of my sense of calling while I'm in this firestorm, you know, um, that there are places when I get to places of soul unrest, that's time when I need to tuck myself under his wing and know that he's, he, he's uh, working on my behalf. Psalm 4610 says, cease striving and know that he is God. Or another translation is be still and know that he is God. And when we get into places of soul unrest, our default response is to strive. But that's, those are places to not strive but to more deeply know. And if the word, you look at the word know in that Psalm 4610 passage, it's about an intimate experiential knowing. So let's say your soul unrest is in finances or body image or marriage or relationships or calling, whatever it is, fear would get us to strive and to try to force an outcome. Rest would call us under his wing to say, you can do more in a moment than I can in a thousand lifetimes. You know, Psalm 91, one, he who dwells in the secret place of the most high God will rest there. I say it's one of the most powerful forms of warfare showing, you know, God showing, I mean, showing the enemy that you trust in God enough to rest and let him establish you. He loves our faith. And sometimes I think all times rest is an act of faith because it, mm. it, it, it takes something out of us to go, I, I have to stop. And whether that rest means Sabbath, whether that means just unrest in our souls or handing something over to him while we want to force something to happen. That's rest while I work. You feast while I fight. I love this one. And for me, it's because the enemy was taunting me. And in scripture from Psalm 23, it says he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Well, that table is a kingly table. It's a place you have to be by invitation only. So I kind of paint a visual on your battlefield, the king of glory coming and setting up a feast right in the face of your enemy. And it's, you know, it. For me, depending on your denominational, prep, you know, where you land, this may not work for you, but I literally would have communion at my quiet time table as a reminder that he was broken so I could be whole. He spilled mm -hmm. his blood. 
so that I can be healed and that I'm an heir of God and I have a place at the table of grace. But I even expanded out even more so to say in the midst of chaos, we often postpone joy. So I would say in the midst of chaos, even of our times, even coming into the holidays, to sit around a table with loved ones and eat food, to say, I'm going to partake of the Lord's provision until he comes again. Every good gift is from him. I'm not postponing joy. I'm going to feast knowing I have a God who fights for me. That also is an act of faith and an act of warfare. And the new way to take flight is those who wait on the Lord will in due time rise up with a new strength. And that passage in Isaiah, it says, even young men get tired. I mean, there's a natural strength and a natural progression to our strength. But even young people, if they overwork, are going to fail and stumble and fall. But when you see the wisdom of needing strength and waiting on the Lord for new strength. When scripture says a new strength and a new power, it really is new strength, the power and a strength you've not known before. So as you're, if you're dealing with the imposter thing, if you're dealing with trauma and your soul is not at rest, you got to pay attention yeah. to what's going on your soul. And to me, those were the three best strategies of getting reset before the Lord and knowing that more is on his shoulders than on mine. That is so good. I love the idea of, um, Resting is an act of faith. I've never yeah. really thought of it that way, but that is yeah. so true. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was, that's kind of um, the heart behind Sabbath, right, is mm-hmm. this idea of, you know, we don't work, we don't need to work for seven days because God's mm-hmm. the provider. We can work for six and then rest for one, trusting mm-hmm. that, that, that one day is going to be made up because God's in control and God's the provider. Yeah. So it's that whole idea of resting in him out of an act of faith. Yeah, that's good. So good. My husband has a Calvin Miller quote on his desk that says, Lord, help me to remember that I can make more bricks in six days than I can in seven. That's good. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very good. good. Yeah, yeah. So you kind of, you kind of end. The, well, is there anything else on any of those topics you wanted to talk about before um, we move yeah, on? So that okay. So the um, only other thing I was going to talk about um, is the idea of renewing our mind and um, this idea. Does science? Um, concur with this idea. We know scripture says, you know, Romans says to renew our minds. Um, and that's part of our battle is renewing our mind. Um, and that's, you know, the integration of our mind, body, and spirit. Our, our battle in our minds is for, the, for it to be renewed. So what is the science behind that? Did you find well, any of that in your research? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just, I marvel at that. And once again, this does show why the power of positive thinking has been such a hit in the secular world, because they're, they have noted fruit, quote unquote. It's not the kind of fruit we're talking about, but you know what I'm saying? There is yes. a cause and effect to, to thinking well and thinking right. And be, that's why I'm saying the, the uh, population apart from faith, it's taken off because they've seen outcomes in their lives as far as probably better outcomes than Christians who have constant defeatist thoughts. So when you marry uh, the science to the power of the living God in us, and you think thoughts in agreement with the kingdom, what a difference this is. And this is, again, not name it, claim it, and, you know, keep your eye on the Corvette and you will have it. It's none of that. <laughs> but I'm just saying, because it's been so uh, taken to an extreme, we don't want to go near it, but we're missing something if we don't. And a book that I would recommend is, um, it's uh, The God-Shaped Brain, I think is what it's called, by Dr. Timothy Jennings. And he was one who endorsed my book. It's just fascinating. I, in fact, I interviewed a mom and a daughter. She'd experienced a traumatic brain injury. And she was not supposed to be able to do anything, but one step at a time, she got her speech back and it's, it's a little, uh, it, she mumbles a little bit, but she, her cognitive function is coming back. And what the brain surgeons told her and told her mom, they said, and these aren't people of faith. They just told him, you tell your brain what's true. You tell your brain what's true. Our physiology responds to where our thoughts go. Like here's another scientific study. When you are in anticipation, where you're excited about an upcoming event, it releases these feel-good hormones in your body that help you, um, empower you, and, and encourage you to have right behavior, to stay focused. I want you to think about that. Let's say you're excited about the holiday season and it's releasing this kind of feel-good hormone in your body and it motivates you to get ready for the holidays. But what you hear from people is, well, oftentimes the anticipation is better than the actual event, so I don't want to set myself up for disappointment. And so they kind of lower the bar and the expectation. Well, I'm telling you, it's good for the soul to have something on your calendar to look forward to. And there is something that's released in your body. In uh, Dr. Jennings' book on 
the God-shaped brain, he talked about a woman who was getting a standard procedure. I think it was a stent or something like that. Now, of course, there's a risk with every surgery, but this was something doctors had done thousands of, and it wasn't. They were they were just going getting ready to do this thing, and the woman was having an absolute breakdown, telling her kids, "I'm going to die. I know I'm going to die." And the nurses were trying to settle her down. And the doctor came in and said, what's all the ruckus about? And she said, I know I'm going to die from this surgery. And he kind of tosses the clipboard on the bed after not being able to settle her down. He says, you'll have to find another doctor. And she's like, what? And he said, this is a standard uh, procedure. I've done many, many of them. But if you think you're going to die, I don't need that on my conscience. He said, I, he says, you'll have to find another doctor. And that's my, you'll have to read it because I might be I don't know how he worded that exactly, but what he was saying is he didn't need the malpractice suit. If you're thinking you're going to die, everything that I try to do for you yeah. is working against what you're thinking, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my friend, Dr. Troy, he wrote in the book, he said, our brains are wired to thrive. And he said, when we are in, engaging in perpetual thoughts of insecurity, he said, it's like a divided kingdom that cannot stand. It's, it's, it's like putting your foot on the gas and putting your foot on the brake at the same time. So all of that to say, when we think thoughts in agreement with what scripture says about us, we are setting ourselves up for the best kind of flourishing. There's something that happens to us neurologically. There's something that happens to us emotionally. So for me, through all those several years of feeling bad with, uh, daily talk show and a book to write and I mean I was physically just you know empty the Lord reminded me that I don't have to feel well to be powerful so I would just start saying that over my life I don't have to be I don't have to feel well to do great things for God and Lord I'm going to trust you I'm trusting that when you say streams of living water are going to flow through me that that's going to be the truth for me so I'm going to walk in that today I mean, I talk to my soul all day long and I've had to but I really believe that's where a lot of the fruit has come from where God has allowed me to do what I've done in spite of the battles that I've faced I've noticed for myself when I pay too much attention to how I'm feeling when I lead with my feelings they get heavier they get my symptoms even feel worse if I think of how numb my face is my face seems to get number but if mm-hmm. I think yeah my face is numb but there's so many other systems in my body that are working well right now so I'm actually more healthy than I am sick so thank you God <laughs> you know it's amazing yeah. what a paradigm shift perspective will do and you'll just realize that as you start to change the way you think you'll notice the fruit of it and scripture is just true you know, it's really amazing about our bodies, and this is actually true about our brains, is that our bodies respond to our most consistent choices, whether those are healthy or unhealthy, making it easier to make those same choices. So if you live a life of lethargy and you're not engaging in exercise, it, your body kind of gravitates that way. And I wish I would have said this a little bit earlier on the brain thing, that it's like our brain responds to our most repetitive thoughts. So let's say you have a pathway that you take in your brain of constant defeat, or I don't want to exercise, or I'm never going to lose this weight or my marriage will never get better, you continue to travel down that road. What happens in your brain is your body creates like almost like a four-lane superhighway, making it quicker and easier to get to those thoughts, and they get there faster. And, and the wider that highway gets in your brain, the more triggerable that you will be because you can get there faster, right? Mm-hmm. And so you have more triggers in your body that can trigger you into those kinds of thoughts. And then what happens if your core beliefs are continually going to that place, your brain starts to look for facts to back up your thoughts, even if the facts aren't true or even mm-hmm. real. Like, I'm rejectable. I'm rejectable. Nobody mm-hmm. likes me. Then your brain starts to look for evidence to back up your quote-unquote fact. And that's just a side thing I want to make sure that we understand because we can decide where to go in our thought process. Yeah. Now, with our health, we are wired for movement. And so when we start to move, and everybody needs to find a mode of exercise that just works for them. And it used to be we would say that to get into the fat burning, you had to do 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 minutes. They don't say that anymore, that if you even do 12, 15 minutes of one-minute sprints, two minutes recovery, just a quick little kind of cardio conditioning in 15 minutes, the, the effects on your health are significant. And you notice, I think, like in Apple Watches and these Fitbit Watches, they want you to get up on the hour and get moving around. They're saying that when you sit all day long and you don't move, it's akin to smoking to your system because your your lymph system just gets all 
clogged up. So movement pushes things out and cleanses things. And I just think that because we're so fearfully, wonderfully made, when you start to move on a regular basis, whatever that is, and you start to see the fruit of it, you'll start to engage your health in a way that God, because there's so many parallels to our Mm -hmm. spiritual health and our emotional health. And I, I think that without engaging in that realm, we'll not know a flourishing. We're not going to feel as well as we possibly can feel. Yeah. And uh, we'll show up in life not feeling the way that God wants us to feel. I always say this is not an ought to. This is not a should do. This is a get to. This isn't about mm-hmm. obligation. It's an invitation. And, you know, I've interviewed so many people who never exercise and realize I have to if I want this next half of my life to go the way I want it to. And once they start, once they just give up a few things like cut back on sugar, maybe give up some gluten or whatever, and they get some clarity in their brain and energy in their cells, they're like, why didn't I do this sooner? I mean, we are made to move. And once you start moving, you'll realize it. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And it's also an endorphin releaser. So back to the chemicals, you know, yeah. that's natural. That's not, we're not taking something to release endorphins, you know, whatever our drug of choice is, but we are, we're releasing endorphins the way God intended or endorphins yeah. to be released. So there is something, if I make myself even go for a walk with the dog in the middle of working, like there is some, I come back refreshed and there's that, that is a chemical physical thing that's there and it doesn't have to be you don't have to go run a marathon you can just do that Mm -hmm. by getting outside and going for a walk so I really the only way I've been able to stick to it is seeing it as a spiritual discipline Mm because I think every time I try to like have other motives or things it just it wouldn't work but if I'm like this is like my discipline for you God then I do it so yeah that's been helpful for me and that's really good and for me because of how I've struggled it's an offering of Thanksgiving because yeah. I get to do it. And I, you know, I marvel that, you know, because some who are chronically ill, there's no way. I mean, there was places right. and spaces in my last few years where I couldn't. Yeah. But anything that I could do, I would. And I want you to say, you know, just know this. Don't let what you can't do keep you from what you can do. Yeah. When, the first time around when I was on the IV therapy, uh, you know, here I was an instructor. And mm-hmm. yet I couldn't, I only could take a shower once a week. And I had an IV hooked up to broken mini blinds. But I knew with Lyme disease, use it or lose it, that my joints would crystallize if I didn't stop you know, moving. So yeah, I couldn't take a shower more than once a week because it just exhausted me. But I could roll my ankles. I could stretch my hamstrings. I could do hip stretches from my couch with my mm-hmm. IV. And my doctor told me, he said, you and another girl were of my probably eight sickest patients. He had a lot of Lyme patients, but we were his sickest crew. And he said, you and Hirsch are the only ones who aren't walking with a walker or confined to bed or in a wheelchair. And the only common denominator is that you didn't stop moving. You mm-hmm. kept pressing through and I just say find the high ground you know we're in different seasons where you either have time to really go after it other times you just don't but do what you can don't let what you can't do keep you from what you can do and that seems like kind of the message of the whole thing is don't stop moving yeah (laughs) whether spiritually (laughs) or emotionally emotionally, or physically yeah don't stop moving yeah that's moving forward moving yes moving forward forward. yes yes yeah yeah don't move backwards don't move backwards (laughs) no reversing sideways forward is good yeah Yeah. well do you have anything else you want to encourage our listeners with before we close out we're kind of at our almost at our hour mark so do you have anything else Well, it's been a delight. I guess I just want to leave you with, in case you've heard anything different from me in the last hour, this really is about invitation, that God has more for us. And yet healing and wholeness will look different on each of us. You know, some have been running too long. It's time to rest and slow the pace down. Others have been staying in the shadows and self-protecting. It's time to step up and engage. Obedience looks different. Engagement looks different. But the thing is, you follow a smiling Savior. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And if you could dare to just give him access to your soul, he will restore your soul. He's after your wholeness. You can believe it and count on it. Oh, well, that is good. Thank you. Thank you, Susie. So it's been a joy. And for our listeners, the book is Fully Alive. This is Susie Larson. You can you know, go to Amazon or whatever, and we'll put a link in our um, show notes so people can find it and they can find your website and um, find you in other places and they can get your, I know you do um, regular um, morning and evening blessings um, if they follow you on social media. And so if they want to hear more from you, they can do that. So we'll link to all of that for sure. And um, yeah, it's a, and for those who are wondering, the book is um, supposed to be done as like a study 
So if you are, um, if any of this resonates with you, um, if there's any way that you feel like you're languishing and not flourishing and you feel like you need a way forward, I think this is a great way to um, start getting in the word is by doing this study. Yeah. And I'm doing it too, so you can do it with me. Yeah. (laughs) It's a 10-week DVD that goes with it if that helps you, just so for friends to know. Okay, perfect. Thank you, Susie. Thank you. Okay, bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.